Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Second Chance Cinema called Be Kind Rewind. This episode is the ice harvest, and to give you a little peek behind the curtain, we get our clips free off of YouTube, and it seems like YouTube has wiped the ice harvest and all of its scenes and clips from its medium, probably because you can watch or rent or buy the entire movie from YouTube for certain nominal fees. So, because... This episode features our first guest with Lee Charles, who became my co-host for Spro and Lee Take on the Academy. But because this is not the kind of quality you shall come to expect from MCNI's show Second Chance Cinema, with all of its scenery slash scenes from movies clipped in, I figured that I would come on the intro, which would remind you that we spoil the movie's endings, we curse, we do all this fun stuff, we have ADD, we go off on tangents which this might become. We figured we would release this episode along with two other episodes, The Faculty and Equilibrium, because our two-season extravaganza is coming to an end. Season one with its remastering and season two only has two episodes left. Well, we cannot end season two before we end the remastering of season one, so it's time to start giving you guys more and more episodes every other Friday of season one of the remastering so that season two is our final episode. Does that make sense? Am I just talking? I feel like I'm rambling. But so you understand what to expect. This Friday, we have the Ice Harvest, the Faculty, and Equilibrium. Two Fridays is our last movie episode with special guest Rudy, when we do Fool's Russian, starring Matthew Perry and Selma Hyatt. After that, we will have Lakeview Terrace, A Bug's Life, Toy Soldiers, Death Sentence, Outbreak, and our Michael Bay Appreciation episode before we close this all out with our Ben Affleck appreciation episode for season two. Thank you for listening to all this rambling. The Ice Harvest is a wonderful episode. It is a wonderful Christmas movie that you should add to your list. And we will begin the end. Enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. Hello, peeps. <laughs> so today, this is a this is a bit of a unique unique situation because this is... I don't. Is this our first request? This no, because well, Gremlins Two was a request. Oh, true. Okay, so this is then we'll say this is the first requested movie that I had no idea existed. I, no, at all. I think this is the first request both of us had not seen before. And I will be completely honest with you, at the risk of sounding ignorant, <laughs> when I was told you should watch this movie, The Ice Harvest. It's a black comedy. I was expecting Coming to America, <laughs> like <laughs> black comedy, and I thought, oh, so like. You know, Eddie Murphy from the 80s. Harvesting I w- ice? I would have preferred... Like the beginning of the Frozen? Term, because I wasn't familiar with the term black comedy. I always hear them called dark comedies. Oh, really? Right. Which okay. is why... So, like, when you say dark comedy, it's... Oh, I get it. It's, like, macabre, and there's usually, like, murder and gore, mm-hmm. but it's funny and stuff. So, when whoever told me, whether it was you or our special guest, said black comedy, I was like, oh, sweet. Prince Akeem and Arsenio Hall. This will be great. Gotcha. Not that kind of a movie. No, and I don't think that's so off base that you know like i can see where you got that you know you can but that's because you're a rational human being i mean i i don't know much about both of our listeners out there but you know if you're offended i apologize now that i'm thinking about it was there even a single black person in this movie i just watched it last night and i can't recall i know it was the leads john cusack and billy bob thornton right who 
Billy Bob Thornton, even though he doesn't play a racist, he always kind of looks racist. He does seem like he'd yell at you or out of a like yard a or something Reno. like that. Yeah. And I, I was thinking as I was watching it, Billy Bob Thornton does... I'm not a huge fan of him. I loved him mm-hmm. in Friday Night Lights, but beyond that, I don't know that I would call myself a Billy Bob Thornton fan. Not yeah, he always kind of plays the same roles. He reminds me in that sense of Will Smith, who for unless he's playing a an uh, an excessively dramatic character like Seven Pounds or Pursuit of Happiness, concussion. is always concussion. Which is always, in my opinion, basically the Fresh Prince doing insert something here so men in black oh it's the fresh prince fighting aliens independence day it's the fresh prince fighting aliens but less funny oh right. uh what was another one um bad boys it's the fresh prince cursing and as a cop and it's fine those are the roles that i love them in well i don't like those overly i, dramatic I don't ones. i don't disagree i enjoy those movies very much but and that's billy why bob I... thornton kind of strikes me as the same way it's like oh you need an old angry guy call billy bob thornton <laughs> <laughs> I saw an interview with him one time where he was on, like, a, it must have been a podcast or a radio show or something. And I guess he has a band, too. Makes he's, sense. A mu- he's a musician. And he got all offended when the host wanted to talk about acting in the movies he's made. Like, God forbid, you're a famous actor. People know you, not because of your band, because mm-hmm. of your acting. And I get that your band is your passion, but I think you kind of also have to roll with the punches when people want to talk about stuff that's a little more accessible to the general public. Right. And he got like really pissy about it. And not to like go directly into Billy Bob and his his theory on things, but the one thing that I learned from the commentary on this movie is that Billy Bob Thornton did not read the script. The only thing that he read was the pages that he was on. And when they were like, why'd you do that? He's like, well, I knew the character and the character wouldn't care what anybody else was doing in the movie anyway. So I figured, why would I? I call bullshit. I think he's just lazy. <laughs> Like, that seems like an answer that you'd give a teacher when she caught you cheating. He showed up to the awards once with Angelina Jolie. Yeah, I remember. Oh, my. Like, how'd that happen? (laughs) I don't don't know. And they were wearing, like, necklaces that were, like, covered in each other's blood or something weird like that. Filled with blood. That would ruin your dress if it was covered. Well, and it's like, how do you, like... Like, I'm a big arts and crafts guy, okay? (laughs) So, how... Like, the idea is cool. Like, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. But then how do you make that happen? How do you go to Joanne Fabrics, search for the little blood vials, find a needle, prick it, fill the blood vials, string it up on a nice necklace? Like, that takes time, effort, and planning. And I just feel like when you saw that at whatever award show that was at, that's kind of like when a kid gets really excited about something and then forgets about it an hour later. Right. That's the vibe I got from that relationship. I feel like what... <laughs> I feel like one of the tactics I would have in a fight, though, is I would grab the vial around my neck and I was like, you keep pissing me off, I'm going to kill somebody and spill this all over them. Just for the record, that was Spro who said that. That was not me, MC. That was the other guy. But you're giving them your DNA evidence. Like, that's that's so... Well, I would assume that being in a relationship like that, which seemed based more on passion than actual feelings, and, uh, well, I guess passion is a feeling. Seem to be based more on like sexual energy as lust. opposed to lust and Instead infatuation. Mm-hmm. That DNA had probably already been shared. How long has this been so far? <laughs> Us talking six <laughs> <Yeah>. minutes. <laughs> Six minutes. So, yeah. So, let's get into the movie. The Ice Harvest. John Cusack. Billy Bob Thornton. Connie Nielsen. What's up, Connie Nielsen? (laughs) Forgot about her. Last time I saw her was in One Hour Photo, which was fantastic. Wow. Did you see that? Late 90s? I did. Robin Williams. I think it was like 98 or 99. Yeah. Fantastic movie. She was in that. Randy Quaid with the big reveal at the end, which was great. Oliver Platt. And we'll get into Oliver Platt a little bit more (laughs) later. I've told you my Oliver Platt story, so we'll get into that. 
So what we're going to do now is we're going to play the trailer. And our go-to activity during the trailers is to express ourselves with the written word, be it uh, through poetry. I'll even open it up, maybe a, an interpretive paragraph or <laughs> trailer treatment or something like that, whatever. And we'll be back to read what we've come up with after this trailer for... This is Charlie Arglis, the most talented mob lawyer in all of Kansas. Did I mention to you that I really wish you wouldn't do that? Yeah. I'm going to break his fingers. As an attorney, I advise you to cease and desist. I'm almost done. If you are what you do, and you never do anything, then you know, what are you? Our finest gifts we bring how much? $2,147,000. Anybody but a lawyer would consider the consequences. Does this mean you're rich, Charlie? Because if you are, we could run away together. It is a thought. Leaving Wichita? Damn right it's a thought. I should be home in Kansas City watching my kids open their Christmas presents. Now I gotta waste the whole day looking for that nitwit. Have you seen Charlie tonight? No, you just missed him. Maybe we should leave now. In case you haven't noticed, there's a hockey rink out there. Boy, I didn't realize how slippery that was. You going somewhere, Mr. Argust? No. That guy you thought might be looking for you? He is. Just act normal for a few hours and we're home free. Yo, ho, ho! It's good to see you! I want to know, when I use the word normal... I think I scraped my tummy. If we're understanding it the same way, don't poke. Hurry up. Oh. Yeah, oh. You don't have any bullets for this, do you? Everybody has regrets. You're in love with me. I've always liked you. <laughs> Mr. Argos? Ouch, that had to hurt. Oh, yeah, I sure did. Argus, drop the gun. You ever notice how weird people get this time of year? Hey! Hey! Yeah. It's Christmas. Everybody's nice on Christmas. Only morons are nice at Christmas. What's that, Roy? Damn, I took his gun. Guess he must have another one. Must have. Okay. All right. I'm gonna you want to go first? You. Sure. Go first, ahead. I wanted to say Connie Nielsen, because I was like, I swear I've seen her recently. Well, Gladiator is probably what, right? Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wonder Woman. That's right. Yes. And Wonder Woman, we've talked about this. I thought it was really, really good, but not mind-blowingly what I was told. But she probably would have also been in scenes in Justice League, too, which I saw more yeah. recently, which was just a dumpster fire. But right. Well, Wonder Woman, my main problem with Wonder Woman was the main bad guy looked like a science teacher. Dr. Poison Woman or no. Ares, the Ares. god of war? Yeah. yeah, with the mustache. Yeah, DC, I, I'm, I have high hopes for the Joaquin Phoenix Joker. High hopes mm -hmm. for various reasons. <laughs> but I don't know that DC's cinematic universe. I can't even remember what they call it. I think like, they do better with their their solo films. Well, they, what is it? They, I think they try to do DC Universe, but I think they're going back to the table and being like, we're not going to compete with Marvel. Let's just do well, they solo can't. films that I don't mean, add up to I mean, it's much. been 10 years, and I think Marvel won, pretty sure. All right. Anyway, go ahead. So I did a, a haiku. Okay. As Wichita Falls, so falls Connie Nielsen as Jessica Rabbit. Uh-huh. Interesting. She did remind me of someone, and I did not put a name to it until right now, Jessica Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Very much so. So would that make John Cusack 
Roger Rabbit and Judge well, Doom would be... Well, it's funny because I nailed it. Like, as soon as she came out and just started talking in that uh-huh. film noir kind of vibe, I was like, wow, she is really doing a Jessica Rabbit thing. Where was she supposed to be from? Because <laughs> I remember at the very end, he asks her, like, where are you from originally? And then I think that's when Randy Quaid walks in and you never hear. Which is an interesting choice. Like, that's that leaves it over to interpretation. But she definitely had, like, her, like some kind of an accent. Right. Anyway. My haiku. Okay. Charlie and Vic stole money. Randy Quaid is mobster boss. Wichita strippers. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because I thought the aesthetic of the Wichita strip club on a weekday in winter was so perfectly nailed. Well, it was um, Christmas Eve as well. Christmas Eve was so perfectly nailed that I just, it, it made me smile. Like, it's exactly what I would expect if you were to tell me those criteria, that if you were to tell me the criteria that I just rattled off, that's the picture I would paint in my mind. And big ups to Harold Ramis, writer and director, and whoever else had a hand in that, they nailed the Wichita <laughs> Strip Club vibe. And so. it's funny too, because you don't see it, but they cut out like a snippet where when Connie Nielsen first comes on the scene, mm-hmm. everybody turns from the strippers to look at her. Well, and that's the thing. Like you, I, that's, that's what I, I mean. I, I got that. Like, it was almost like an in joke right mm-hmm. away. Like, Oh, the manager, was she the manager or like the yeah. lead? I don't know. Run, yeah. The, the, what's the, there's a, there's a word for owner. No, she owned like it. when there's a brothel, there's a word for like the head lady in charge. I think den mother, we'll call her the den mother. Ooh, yeah. Den mother. But yeah, it's like, oh, the den mother's hotter than all the, the entertainers. So, yep. So we have a special, so the reason we're doing this movie, because neither of us knew it existed, it was mm-hmm. brought to our attention by a good friend who we were actually able to get on the phone to sort of plead his case as to why he is such a fan of this movie. You want to you wanna explain that a little more? Yeah, well, uh, so we have a Facebook group that you could go to to recommend movies. We have our Twitter pages, which we might as well just put in now. Mine is 2NDSpro or wow. Second Spro. Uh, mine is at 2NDMC. Like, there are various ways that you could get a hold of us, and really this show is for audience members to go and find the movies that didn't get enough love back in the day or we want you to kind of revisit. Because let's be honest, if it was up to me, I would only watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990 and The Raid all the time. <laughs> it's and because of this show that I watch other movies. Yeah, and really, and we're not experts on it. No. We're just lovers of these kind of films. <clears throat> and so and so we want to open it up to everybody else, and we're asking for suggestions. First time where somebody told us something, and I really like John Cusack, so I was immediately interested. Mm-hmm. But he, he came out with, it's one of Oliver Platt's best works and maybe the one of the best drunken characters on in film and i was like all right sign me up so let's talk about that do you want to let's talk about that after we hear his okay call so just to just to be fully transparent i think you told me he thought that we were actually recording well and yeah i mean i i voiced it radio magic we're gonna go super transparent in the phone call said i have mc here i did not i was alone at my house I didn't even know this was happening. And so, like, you know, if you call again, I'm sorry if I trick you into believing something that is untrue. Right. Because, you know, scheduling and I'll be honest, the computer that we're working with here to record these podcasts is not the greatest. (laughs) The left side of the keyboard doesn't work. So (laughs) it's pretty old school, but it gets the job done. So patching in a phone call and organizing schedules. Plus, he's out on the West Coast, I think, right? He's in Arizona. Arizona. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So it was just easier this way to kind of dupe him. But... So what we got was basically a testimony of why he enjoys this movie so much. Yep. All right. 
And he spoils things, so if you want to... I think we've spoiled enough already. Well, I mean, he spoils like the big reveal at the end, other than Randy Quaid, but he's in the trailer. Oh, right. So if you want to see this movie, pause now. Go watch it and then come back. Spoiler alert. But here, should we introduce him? This is Lee Charles. Yeah. Sitting Uh, here with uh, MC. We we were recording your episode about the ice harvest. Oh, yes. Figured why not give you a call because you're the one that recommended it. You are now officially the first guest of Second Chance Cinema. Oh, I'm honored. Congratulations. Should be. Should be. So, you recommended the ice harvest. Indeed. Is this your ultimate guiltiest pleasure or you just thought it would be fun for the show? No, it's definitely not my ultimate guilty pleasure. The one that I always feel the lamest thing I like is Robin Hood Parentheses. <laughs> but I'll stand by that forever. No, I just it I felt as though it fit the, the paradigm. It was just one of those ones that I never heard about, never saw anybody uh saw it on T V, never heard anybody talk about it. Got that discovery factor to it where you you know, you're like, How has no one seen that? Absolutely. I mean I never I don't think I ever heard of it or I think I mixed it in with uh Trapped in Paradise. Which is far better than it. <laughs> Yes, it is. And then I went on and recommended it after after I watched it. Made all the parent parentals watch. Cool. So why do you like the Ice Harvest? Well, I mean, apart from the fact that you know it's edgy, it's an edgy Christmas movie, and that makes me feel like I'm cool. Um, <laughs> I thought it was pretty good uh, film noir, a lot of good comedy. Um, I I enjoyed the existential elements of it. it I, I feel like it marries pretty well with uh, Groundhog Day, another of Ramis's films. Mm-hmm. You know that there's that scene in the in the car where where Cusack's driving a, a drunken Oliver Platt all around. He tries telling that story about how his uncle and his father, you know, his uncle was a, was a piece of shit. I think he said he fucked anything that moved, you know, won a fortune in gambling and lost it all. And, you know, his father followed all the rules and they both died on the same day. And, you know, basically saying, like, I think he finishes it off with, you do one thing, you do another, same result. Right. You know, that, that, that ultimate fight against death. I mean, the acting, too, apart from any subtextual elements, the acting is, is fantastic. Cusack is the life goal to be as cool as John Cusack is and Gross Point Blank and uh, and in this. And Billy Bob's always really good. I feel like he kind of plays the same scumbag piece of shit all the time, but he's right. good at it. Oh, he's um, perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> sort of playfully misogynistic. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. What did you think about Connie Nielsen acting in it? Uh, she never really, she never really popped for me. But I mean, you know, as femme fatales go, she was pretty, pretty perfect for this role. I mean, pretty light role, but she's got one of the best lines in the whole movie. She gets that line where she's like, <laughs> "What does she say? You look like the cat that ate the fucking. You look like you're about to burp a fucking feather." <laughs> <laughs> That's a great, great line. She's good. She's good. Um, a conniving little bitch, isn't she? I didn't see the ending coming, frankly. Right. And but I'm. Well, I you kind of suspect everybody. I think you put in your notes for the movie. You kind of got to keep your keep your wits about you with everybody and what everybody's ultimate goal is in the movie. Yeah, and plus, I think you're supposed to align with Cusack and Cusack. Um, Charlie, you know, he's really taken with her. He wants to run away. He wants to get the fuck out of there and start a new life. And he, you know, and the only way that he can do that is if he can get his hands on the money. And um, yeah, so he's really taken with her. So I think you're supposed to also be taken with her. And well, I mean, she's attractive, but yeah, I just she's kind of like Vera Farmiga. She's like, yeah, she's good. She's not really in a lot of stuff. It doesn't really bother me. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love Vera Farmiga. Yeah, she's like exactly. my like ultimate milf. She's 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 good in everything that she's in, but she's just not in a lot of stuff. I think she. She was more successful than than Connie Nielsen, but well, yeah, you know. Connie, I mean Connie peaked with uh, Devil's Advocate. 
I would say. Maybe really? Starship Troopers. I think. Really? Because the first time I remember wanting to know her name was Gladiator. Oh, yeah. Which, well, I mean, that's high art. <coughs> really? I don't think so. so. What well, won the Academy Award? Uh, is that, yeah, so did Green Book. I enjoyed Green Book, too. I don't know why people really? hate it so much. Um, mm. A little Oliver Platt in this film is kind of oh, how yeah. you sold me on it. And then I watched oh, yeah. it, and even though I had high expectations, he blew them out of the water. What was oh, your yeah? favorite scene with Oliver ho, Platt? Ho, 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 mofo. <laughs> I, it makes me that whole the whole that I guess you could call it like the middle. You know, Tarantino likes to refer to to movies like this as hangout movies, where it's like you can you know you like he uh, references like Real Bravo, uh, Days and Confused. I even think he made a hangout movie with Jackie Brown, where it's like if you're with these characters and you're having a good time, it's kind of like hanging out with friends. Like Clerks is a good um, and that whole part where he reluctantly takes him around drinking. You know, he meets him at that restaurant after Billy Bob walks out on him. Um, meets him at the oh no he doesn't meet him the, the guy's like dude you gotta get your fucking friend out of here <laughs> that's it yeah that that whole that whole sequence is great and sort of disturbing the part at the um, you know he's this funny lovable drunk you know always taking shit too far you know we always we've, we've been there or we've been Charlie where it's like you know alright buddy calm down <laughs> Plus, it's very festive because it's Christmassy, and um, you know he gets himself into a little trouble. Gets his one of his testes knocked up into it. <laughs> I am practicing nonviolent resistance, which was an ad lib line. Was it really? Yeah. Um, oh, he's great. He's great. And then that scene where they go to his wife's house, Charlie's ex-wife, it's really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And he's got that turkey lurkey, and he takes that huge fucking leg, <laughs> and then gets into it with. I'm ashamed, you make me ashamed to be a man, his uh, father-in-law. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, he hits all the points. Well, um, nobody's good in the film, and I think that scene shows it implicitly, uh, yeah. is that everybody uh, has their flaws. Yeah. yeah. And that wife but, of his is drop-dead gorgeous to me. See, I never even, that didn't even spark for me until you, you were like, Jesus Christ, this woman. <laughs> But, this was her last film. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. He's great. He's great. So to wrap up your recommendation, I just have one final question. Mm-hmm. As Wichita Falls, so falls Wichita Falls. What does that statement mean to you? Well, I guess I always thought of it linked up with uh, that the existential bent to the film. You know, it's I think it's it's what it means is it's a pointless phrase to me. I know you told me that it's the what did you what did you say it was? It's the Buddhist, Buddhist philosophy. Thing? Well, I'm sure it didn't mention Wichita Falls in the Buddhist philosophy. No, it didn't. But it's sort kind of like, like on it, right? Yeah, like you crumble a butterfly's wings in China, you create a tsunami in India or whatever that part is. It's all cause and effect. Right. Well, to me, that seems, it, it just seems like a loop of bullshit. And it, it means, it, it's, it's a pointless idiom if, if it can be so called an idiom, and it it just I, I think it reflects that that speech that he gives to Platt, who's not giving a fuck and not listening, and just wondering why he's not he's like missed like three lights already. I mean, he won't even he won't even listen to this speech, which is the most profound thing in the entire movie that's that's said. And so it's kind of I, don't know, I think it reflects the pointlessness of life, the futility of resisting against death or maybe resisting against temptation and then it, it's funny that you find out in the end that it was it was Cusack all along 
that was right in it everywhere. Right. So I don't think it melds well with the the chosen ending for the theatrical release. I like the minus the yeah minus the flashback scene um, of the one. I, I like the thought that that in the midst of writing it again, you know, he gets. I mean, what if he, he doesn't get run over? He just gets like bumped, but enough to do damage to his to his brain or something. I don't know. So <laughs> I took it as like the tires went over his rib cage. Um, yeah, maybe. That's it. So I mean, so you recommend the ice harvest to all twenty of our listeners? Of <laughs> which I'm one. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, I do. I recommend it to anybody that'll listen. I think anytime somebody asks for a for a suggestion on Reddit, and I feel as though Ice Harvest meets their criteria, I'll recommend it, especially when it it used to be on Netflix. Yeah, I'll tell anybody and everybody I know to watch that shit. <laughs> I think it's I think it's Cusack's second best film behind uh, Gross Point Blank. So I gotta say. <laughs> Hearing him, and I, I love the way you duped him into thinking that I was there the whole time and just really quiet. That's what I do. Like, you know when you watch a movie the first time and you're trying so hard to pay attention that you miss everything? Mm-hmm. Now it's like, okay, I've got the basic gist of everything. That, like, I know the beats, so now I can look at the stuff that's in between. Like, the stuff he was talking about, you know, with the dialogue with Oliver Platt and the good dialogue that Connie Nielsen had and stuff like that. I didn't know that it had a alternate ending where he dies. Right. And I actually, when that happens in the movie, he helps his friend siphon gas to get his camper going to get his kids to Six Flags or something. <laughs> and um, the camper backs up and nails John Cusack as he's writing the Wichita Falls thing mm. on the back of the camper, which is kind of like, hey, man, that's that dude's camper. And also, where did you just pull a red Sharpie from? Uh, who walks around with a red Sharpie? Well, guy did I that miss that? No, I mean, the guy just likes to, every one of the As Wichita Falls was uh-huh. in Red Sharpie. So, I mean, like, that's just, that's his, that's his impulse. He just wants to leave nonsense That's everywhere. fair, I guess. Which um, I almost want my own phrase to leave. But I places. felt like, like, it would have been a good, and apparently this is what the alternate ending is, I felt it would have been, like, a good, nice way to tie things up if he actually died when the camper <laughs> just dinged into him. Yeah. Um, and you're telling me that that is the alternate ending. There is two alternate endings. One is just he gets run over and it looks like the tire kind of meets his lungs and he coughs up blood and then you just see a shot of him john cusack walking through one of those empty fields that he's always looking out into and then his spirit fades away and then the other alternate ending they have a flashback of a conversation that he has with connie nielsen in a bar Mm -hmm. which is kind of like just saying almost kind of like going back to one of his favorite memories and kind of where it all began and everything like that of if we had money, we could get away. And then they go back to him, his spirit, walking through the field, and he dies again. Interesting. So both, of, I think both of the alternative endings, better choices than what they originally, or what they ended up going with. You mean where him and Oliver Platt go off together? Mm-hmm. See, that made me want the sequel. Like, I want to see the adventures they get into. <laughs> Oliver Platt's character was a perfect drunk. And oh. what I mean by that is that Whenever you see a drunk person in movies, an actor who's playing a drunk person, it's such a fine line between being believable and being, even if it's not like egregiously over the top stuff, like breaking bottles and throwing up everywhere. There's a fine line between even just like the simple things like slurring the words and, um, you know, looking out of it that is really, really hard to do, I feel Mm -hmm. like. And he just like, he was the perfect drunk guy. Perfect. He really was. Yeah. Do you ever see Arthur with Dudley Moore or the remake with Russell Brand? 
No, but Russell Brand sucks. So I, as soon as I saw Oliver Platt like come into this, like I think his first line is the "Yo ho ho mofo" mm-hmm. because John Cusack is in the restaurant with Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob leaves it, and all of a sudden the Mater D comes by and goes, "You got to take your friend home," mm-hmm. you know. And it's actually the guy who married his ex-wife, right? And it's just Oliver Platt across the bar going "Yo ho ho mofo," <laughs> and then John Cusack gives him a hug and he spills his drink everywhere right. and. Then is is loud and obnoxious. It, you know what it was? It was just like he didn't try too hard to be a drunk. It was like just very natural, I guess is the word. And like, because you never saw him on screen when he was not drunk, but because of the character that you did see, like I felt like I could get a vibe of who he was even when he wasn't drunk. When I feel like you know that you like you said you have choices when it comes to what drunk you're playing. You're gonna play the slurring drunk, the stumbling drunk, you mm-hmm. know, like type of thing like that. He played the drunk. That didn't give a fuck who was in the room Mm -hmm. and who was hearing the conversation. Mm -hmm. Like he was going to talk as loud as he wanted Mm -hmm. and he was going to just barrel through and then (laughs) tell everybody what he wanted them to know. Like the the girl with the Christian necklace. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) His dialogue was written so that he seemed very, I don't know if wise is the word, but like philosophical Mm -hmm. kind of in just this weird. And he, he probably had what, like 15 minutes of screen time, if that. Maybe like if you join it all together yeah i mean and and but he was such a a good character and i told you before that i used to work with a guy who for no reason never met him never interacted with him but vehemently hated oliver platt like we were talking about some movie that he was in across the office and it was like he had like supersonic hearing or something because we said we were just you know normal voice and oliver platt and he like got up from his desk barreled over like are you guys fucking talking about oliver platt (laughs) and he just he went into this tirade about how much he hates oliver platt like as an actor i guess and it was like for what i don't know i don't i don't remember but just like it was like this completely nonsensical like non-justified just hatred of oliver platt and it's like of all the actors that you could hate he seems so innocuous and harmless. Well, when I just sat down with a, a lady on Wednesday night, an old friend from probably like 10 years ago, who always hated Julia Roberts. Like, absolutely couldn't See, stand Julia one, Roberts. That one I get, though. makes sense. So that I one like, I get because Julia Roberts is so prominent and such a big star. But it's like, if I went up to, to my parents and was like, hey, do you guys know who Oliver Platt is? They wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> so to have so much hatred for this guy who's an accomplished actor... But not a household name. Most of his like I don't think he's ever played a bad guy. Most of his characters are the happy friend who just wants everybody. No, he did play a bad guy in Beethoven. He was a um, the the movie about the dog. Yeah, he was a dog thief in Beethoven. <laughs> Him and Stanley Tucci were two like bumbling dog thieves. Oh, and Stanley Tucci's so nice too. Yeah, but it's like so. I sat down with the the friend on Wednesday, and I was like, "Do you still really hate Julia Roberts?" And she was like. Actually, I think somebody else has taken the throne of my hatred. Oh, is it Oliver like, Platt? No, it was Jennifer Aniston. And I was what? like, you just like America's Sweethearts? Like, what's going on? She's like, that and Dead Fish. <laughs> I was like, okay. Wait, Dead Fish? Yeah, dead Julia fish? Roberts, Jennifer Aniston, and Fish That Are Dead in a Fish Tank oh. are her three major hates in life. Oh. Yeah. That was a curveball at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, back to the ice harvest. I think... I was kind of in the same boat. So we didn't know what this movie was when it was recommended to us by Lee Charles. I don't like to look at anything before I sit down and watch a movie. Like, I don't want to know what's it about, you know, type of thing. I just want the story to unfold in front of me. It's the same thing with books. I don't read the back of books or Mm -hmm. whatnot. So when I sat down to watch this movie, I was like, I have no idea. It starts with the little drummer boy over Mm -hmm. the, it was a really woke Jesus 
baby. If when you watch it again, he's in the major. He is. His eyes are like cocaine eyes. I'll have to. I'll have to check that out again. <laughs> I don't remember that. Exactly. And then I was like, okay, so this is like it's like the ref. It's like Home Alone. It's like any right. Christmas movie. This right. is how it starts. And then boom, boobs. And that. Well, I yeah. mean, like they have the conversation with John Cusack and Billy Bob Thornton in the car mm-hmm. after they rob the money. Mm-hmm. But then it's right into the strip club with boobs, and I was like, wow, I don't know what's going on. Like how to read this movie at all yet? It what- was very um, eclectic, all over the place. And I mean, I guess that's what dark comedies are. Like I, I because I remember when once I finally figured out. That black comedy and dark comedy were the same thing. I looked up a list of dark comedies slash black comedies just to get a frame of reference. Mm. American Psycho was listed as one, which I wouldn't, I never would have thought that until I saw it on a list with the other movies that it's similar to. Right. And that's totally accurate, Mm -hmm. I think. And I forget, I I still have the list here somewhere, but um, American Psycho was one and that's, I love that movie. So that was like, okay, I kind of know what I'm getting into. And then, let's see what the other ones were. Fargo. Pulp Fiction? Yeah. Maybe to a point. Oh, Thank You for Smoking, which is what we talked about we wanted to do as an episode here, but then we realized that that was actually a pretty celebrated movie. <laughs> right. But um, that's definitely, like, I wouldn't have first classified that as a dark comedy slash black comedy, but I can see it now. You ever see Very Bad Things? Is that the the one where the stripper gets killed? Yep. I haven't seen it, but I know of it. That's one of my favorite dark comedies that okay. doesn't that nobody really likes. <laughs> and then there's a bunch on here that I have never that I've never even heard of. Well, there's Heather's, yep. um, Fear and Loathing, Death to Smoochie. So these are the ones you haven't heard. Or I ha- seen? no, I've seen um, Heather's. <laughs> I've seen, but I haven't seen the other two. And then Bad Santa is on here, which is another Billy Bob Thornton, which I just did not like. I just thought it was just so lazy. Right. I just really thought it was just. <laughs> Like, oh, we get it. You're a grumpy Santa. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, so once, but once, like, the dialogue started and it was such a quotable movie. Wait, do you think I have an irrational hatred for Billy Bob Thornton the way my friend did for Oliver Pratt? I don't think so because he always plays such a scumbag that that could, like, rub. Because I don't like Billy Bob Thornton because of how he treated the prime minister's secretary in love, actually, as the American president. And he broke them up and they almost didn't get together. Ah. Is Love actually the one where they meet at the airport at the end with yep. the one where it's like the... Like Denise the Richards aging, and Alicia Cuth... Uh, oh, Cuthbert. and the aging rock star who's mm-hmm. like supposed to be Rod Stewart or something and ends up... Yeah. I don't remember Billy Bob Thornton being in that. He's the American president. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, and he tries to like... Yeah, that's right. He tries to put the moves on the assistant. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's just... he's. He and, always and plays and that swarmy... I, I suppose I've never met him <clears throat> as a person, but yeah, he just... Uh, he's, but he plays these roles super well. That's what I have to go off of. Mm-hmm. So, and that interview where he pissed his pants about his stupid band. <laughs> so, so yeah, so the... I think the overall review of this movie, like, the first thing that I noticed was that it was written and directed by Harold Ramis, which... It was not written by. Oh, it wasn't? I will say that. Yeah, no, it's uh, Robert Bennon and Richard Russo were the writers. And Richard Russo... I feel like Harold Ramis had two credits, maybe director and something else. Producer, maybe? I don't know. I'm thinking, you know, National Lampoons, Stripes, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. I wasn't <clears throat> leaning so much toward, like, the Groundhog Day vibe, I guess. And that's why it took me a minute to get settled into the... Oh, it's this Harold Ramis. Right. And not the other Harold, the, the National Lampoon's vacation Harold Ramis. Right. And Groundhog Day was supposed to be a whole lot darker. Right. When it was coming out. So, critically, how did this movie fare? Not well. I saw it had like a sixth rating on IMDb, which is pretty common for most of the movies we do on here, except Street Fighter. Right. So, it's 6.3 on like IMDb. A solid, solid two and a half. 
But here, and this is how it all pretty much goes. So 46% Rotten Tomatoes, 62% Metacritic. Um, but Google users, 88% like this movie. So pretty much the people that ignored all the bad reviews and whatnot that actually went out to see it. Mm-hmm. And I think like John Cusack is John Cusack's role in this movie. Like this is pretty much what he does. Mm-hmm. And what I like about him and how he is as an actor is he kind of lets everything do the work that they wanted to like he doesn't he allows oliver platt to over <clears throat> act him in their scenes you know he's very he's always very calm even when like i'm thinking of him in con air yeah when he plays the u.s marshal and there are scenes where he he's very composed and he's very calm but then there are scenes when even when he's like freaking out like the plane's taking off with all the convicts he's still got this very like it's a coolness yeah it's a very it's 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 composure but he's also doing what the role requires, which is freaking out because there's a plane full of convicts right. to leave Carson City. And like what I was thinking, like on the drive here this morning, <laughs> I was like, I really want to see, based off of their acting styles and the the act the the roles that they get that they pick, I want to see John Cusack and Keanu Reeves. Oh man, Keanu Reeves is just as like a de- everyone's darling these right. days as a detective pair going after a Nicolas Cage bad guy. Like Castor Troy bad guy? Or just Nicolas, like Nicolas Cage as Nicolas Cageist. You know, where he's at now. And what his, do you think was his Nicolas Cageist? What I recommended to uh, Mom and Dad. Oh, yeah. The yeah, latest yeah, one yeah, with Selma right. Blair. Oh, that was the other dark comedy that I. It was a movie called um, God Bless America by. It was uh, either written and directed or just written or just directed by Bobcat Goldthwaite. And it's basically falling down where this guy just loses it one day, snaps, mm-hmm. and goes on a rampage. But all I think I've told you about this movie, but all the people that he ends up interacting with and ultimately, I think, for the most part, like executing, are just douchebags. And it's it's all these archetypal douchebags that you yourself run into every day, like guy who cuts you off on the highway, guy who's talking during the movie, guy who cuts in front of you in the checkout line, and he just dispatches them in... in in this movie like that's basically and then there's this big build-up where he goes to the um i think it's like a tv studio with a really exploitive like like reality show or something going on and he just you know kills all them and you're like it's it's definitely a dark comedy and it was one of those things where it's like you know it's not something that you would you would ever do but you're kind of like yeah i get it he Mm -hmm. had enough and and that's what happened it's very very falling down which is one of my favorite movies but it's just more over the top. Nice. And that was on the list, too. <laughs> uh, that movie came out probably like 10 years ago, and I remember I saw it, and I thought, this is hilarious. This is like, like I can, I imagine people fantasize about this shit all the time in traffic, and, in, in, and, and I'm wondering why. I mean, I guess I understand. It wasn't necessarily a good movie. Did you watch what, it? I watched it, but it wasn't necessarily like a, I mean, it was, it was a great premise, decent execution, but it wasn't made for like a wide release right. kind of thing. So, so critics didn't dig this. The ones that I read were kind of just like it was, meh. I'm pretty sure Robert Roger Ebert gave it like three out of four stars. He did. I have it. Okay, go ahead. All right. So Roger Ebert, our our critic that we go to. Do we like him? I forget. We I didn't at first. I hated him because he when was we first started recording. Yeah, or? like I felt like for some reason I had this hang up where oh, if you put a sex scene in the movie, oh, that's right, that he would actually like it. Mm-hmm. But then every movie that we've pretty much gone over, I don't think he's not liked one of these. So his review, Roger Ebert, three out of four stars, said, I liked the movie for the quirky way it pursues humor through the drifts of greed, lust, booze, betrayal, and spectacularly complicated ways to die. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I liked it for Charlie's essential kindness as 
when he pauses during a getaway to help a friend who has run out of gas. Right. And for the scene-stealing pathos of Oliver Platt's drunk, who, like many drunks in the legal profession, achieves a rhetorical grandiosity. Did I say that word right? Grandiosity. Grandiosity. During the final approach to oblivion. And I liked especially the way Roy, the man in the trunk, keeps on thinking positively <laughs> even yeah. even after Vic puts bullets through both ends of the trunk because he can't remember which end of the trunk Roy's head is at. Maybe, Maybe it's, it's in, in the, the middle. middle. Yeah, I remember that review pretty specifically. And that brings up, so Oliver Platt was a lawyer in this movie, mm-hmm. right? He was also a lawyer in A Time to Kill, and it was very, very similar. Do you remember that? Yeah. Where he was oh kind of like gosh. the sleazy, and He was just lusting after Sandra lawyer. Bullock. Right, yeah. yeah. He reminded me... Um, that that was a that was another good like because in that movie too he also had like only fifteen minutes ish of screen time but his character was just so like vivid that that he was very scene stealing so right. this is a great movie to celebrate Oliver Platt is he on Twitter we should tweet this I don't, at him. maybe I just there's so many and like I hope you watch this movie I like because there's so many I think like the choices I really like when he drops down in the parking lot and pukes in the car instead of out of the car right. The fact that they pause the movie and then he passes out on the, they take Oliver Platt home and he passes out there. The movie doesn't move as many movies do, which is like, we have to get to this and we have to get to this and then we have to get to this and then we have to get to the big reveal at the Mm -hmm. end, especially even with the side character of the cop. Mm-hmm. Who you think is just, you know, like... Who Who's just... one of the Sonic guys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those assholes. It took me until the end of the movie to be like, that's who that guy is. Man, buy one, get one, wings are the best. What a deal, it's man. So awesome, man. We each get two. I want more. You can't have more. You I only, want three. You only have two hands. You're saying if I had a third hand, I could have another one? If you had a third hand, you could have one of my... Um... <laughs> yeah! Now feed me. And then he got shot in the head, and I was, like, satisfied as hell. Right. His arc was, he had an arc, you yeah. know, like, yep. and, and it's one of those things where he really wants to work for Charlie's boss, who's a mob boss, mm-hmm. and the cop seems like he's a good cop mm-hmm. <laughs> during the whole movie, and mm-hmm. then you realize, wait, no, they've been telling me he's a bad cop, mm-hmm. and then at the end, you think he's going to get some kind of comeuppance, and he is immediately dispatched. Mm-hmm. It is... It's a movie, and this is what I like about dark comedy the most, is that it does not give you... A dark comedy should not give you what you expect or want, but you're still happy with the end result. That's fair. That's fair. Definitely fair. I'm going to I'm gonna say... I'm going to end and say my piece with the rare occasion I see a movie that teaches me a new word. <laughs> and the last time I can honestly remember this was from Office Space, which is 1996, the word ass clown came up in office space and that was immediately like to the top of of my list of awesome words (laughs) in this movie toward the end randy quaid comes in and is talking disparagingly about john cusack and billy bob thornton and he 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 refers to them as fart hammers (laughs) which i had the closed captioning on while i was watching this so to hear the word fart hammer and to see the word fart hammer at the same time was just a revelation. <laughs> I will remember the word fart hammers. The one thing that I that I think is done especially well, which I've seen before in movies and I still don't understand, is when John Cusack gets 
stabbed in the foot mm-hmm. and then his eye like his face is gray and mm-hmm. his eyes are sunken in like i know it's just makeup but that comes through in such a way that my stomach drops as i as i see that particular like well that happens right after see that and maybe they i don't know maybe this was intentional but that happens right after or no that happens right is that right before he blows off randy quaid's head it must be or just the the buckshot of right no no well he shoots him first and he doesn't kill him right then he comes up from behind him and shoots him right so it's the juxtaposition of like the legitimate looking i got stabbed in the foot now i'm gray and just in pain cold sweat cold sweat and then randy quaid gets shot and you don't see it you just see connie nielsen cowering on the floor and then it just this like it it was almost like the production intern just threw a bucket of red paint (laughs) at the wall and then like a rump roast like just silly and visceral and gross which is the contrast to what you're saying because i felt the same way i was like anytime something happens like where someone gets either something happens to someone's foot or especially the shin it's like that's lights out for me oh yeah you you talked about the shin so stabbing in the foot was bad and then his reaction was bad and then it went to the silly like you know looked like a cow's tongue being thrown against the wall with with buckets of red goo and i wonder if that was just happenstance or if that just was or if that was a a, a choice in the way that the director of ghostbusters being like i don't know how to do he didn't direct ghostbusters out. come on dude ivan reitman oh yeah that's right ivan reitman i well do you want to correct me on the starship troopers oh yeah that's right <laughs> you idiot you were talking to lee charles since i wasn't there for the conversation you said that connie nielsen was in starship troopers but you're actually thinking of dina mayer who played Diz in Starship Troopers, who is the girl that Casper Van Dien hooks up with when, what's the other girl's name? Denise Richards is far away becoming a pilot. Dina Meyer Mayer was also in a bunch of the Saw movies, I think. Really? Oh, yeah. I I always thought that was Connie Nielsen. But you're right. They are two different people. I know Starship Troopers pretty well. Yes. Fantastic (laughs) movie. I don't even know if maybe that is worthy of consideration on this show, but I feel like that movie's been pretty well received. No, that's a cult favorite. Yeah. So, all right. Final thoughts? Final thought, I'm adding this to my, the ref and Scrooged and the Christmas movies that go against the grain for Christmas time. Final thoughts, I want to thank Lee Charles, sincerely for, um, well, popping back into my life with this film and <laughs> um, just recommending a pretty sweet movie. <laughs> I mean, I nice. think he, I think he, he pled his case pretty good. And uh, like I said, I met him in elementary school, which was probably about 20, no, almost like 30 years ago. God. So it was good to hear from him. I like the, what I didn't know that Lee Charles said was the hangout movie aspect that Tarantino. I have heard that before. Actually. Have you? Mm-hmm. Because I could never understand, like I could never explain Dazed and Confused mm-hmm. in that kind of way. But yeah, that's right. Like you just introduce a bunch of characters and then let them. What I do like that this movie did is there was three Greek rules for drama and tragedy. And one of them was it all takes place in the same 24 hours. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. so I like when they revisit those ancient Greek rules and just kind of let you know that this is just all going to unfurl in a timely fashion and not drag out for like three years or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the ice harvest, John Cusack, Billy Bob Thornton, Connie Nielsen, dark comedy, dark comedy, also black comedy, <laughs> which can mean different things. Mm-hmm. I think if there's anything I've learned from this experience, <laughs> it's that that term can mean different things. Black comedy and fart hammers. Fart hammers. All right. If you do have any requests or you're one of the three listeners who's got a movie that you think we deserve to take a look at, we would love to hear because truthfully, I think the recommendations that come from out of nowhere are often the best surprises. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. So... That's all I got, man. <laughs> this has been Second Chance Cinema. We want to thank Lee Charles for calling in. Hopefully we can get some more um, 
interesting technical integration like that in the future. Absolutely. All right. Are we doing it? Wasn't that bad? I think we're going to leave that out from now on, I thought. Okay. Because we started to realize as we've evolved this podcast, how many episodes have we done? Like 20? 20 yeah. Something? Um, that it wasn't that bad is kind of how we started, but it's kind of not where we're at right now. And it sounds negative. Now it that does. I think about it. it does. And that's, that's, I think the evolution has been natural and not forced, and I think that's okay. Cool. I think we're growing up. All right. I really do. I feel like we need to find like some kind of sign off though so it doesn't drag into this awkward time. Frame. I got it. Okay. Later, fart hammers. <laughs> I like it. All right. Morning, Pete. Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas, buddy. Where are we? We're in heaven. Oh. They got pancakes. They got everything. Good. Well, I'm out here underneath the stars I've been trying to death the houses farms and fields The Ice Harvest was produced by Bonafide Pictures. It was distributed by Focus Features. Second Chance Cinema is a fan of the film and urges you to check it out. Closing credits music is from the film's soundtrack, Nothing But The Wheel by Peter Wolf. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you can reach us at 2ndchancecinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You can find us on Twitter at MCNSpro or check us out on Instagram at 2ndchancecinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us, leave a review wherever you listen, and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. And isn't that really the whole point? Now go on and have a beautiful day, you wonderful person, you. And remember, as Wichita falls, so falls Wichita falls. Enjoy your day.